Hey guys, I'm Pastor Jason Shirley. I'm the associate pastor right here at Word of Life Church in Carlsbad, New Mexico. And I'm really excited that you have joined us today online. Just a couple of things. I want you to drop us a line if you're watching wherever in the world and let us know where you're watching from. We would love to hear from you. Second, if you want to partner with us today in a financial way, then you can give by texting 84321 and just text your amount, or you can go to our website, wolcarlsbad.com, and you can click the Give tab and give that way. The last thing today is that if you have any needs or anything like that that we can partner with you on, then drop us a line and send us that, and we're going to partner with you in prayer. I believe today is going to be a wonderful day. I want you to open up your heart to receive from the Word of God today and always remember that God is madly in love with you. Let's get to the service. Hallelujah. Are you ready for some Word today? Praise God. Praise God. So it's punked. Is that spelled with a W? Praise God. We've got an opportunity. Once again, I, I, I like to call this an opportunity. We've, we've called our Sunday morning services different things. We've called it Sunday morning service. That sounds more like a funeral. Uh, you know, so so we when we started this church, we started calling it Sunday morning celebration. And that's pretty good. But, you know, when, and, and nothing wrong with that. Celebration is, is a good way to describe it because that's what we do. But we could also call it, and we've, we've been calling it lately Sunday morning opportunity. Praise God. You have an opportunity to come together with the people of God. Hallelujah. You know, sometimes we say, well, you know, I, I love the Lord. I just don't like his kids. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? Jesus said it this way. He said, how can you love God whom you have not seen and hate your brother who you have seen? So, you know, when I come together with the people of God, I come together with the people of God because I love the people of God. Praise God. I love the Lord, but I love his kids. I love, I love my siblings in Christ. Praise God. Praise God. So today we are talking again. I, I've been on this ever since the first of the year, on this, uh, on this overarching theme of growing up into Christ. The Lord was beginning to speak to me at the beginning of this year, and he says, it's time to go on to the next level. It's time to grow up. It's time to mature. Praise God. Now, I, I've said this many times, I recognize that there's no such thing as a mature church, that everybody in the church is mature. There, there's, there's no such thing as that. Why? Because if you're mature, then you're going to be reaching others. And if you're reaching others, then you're going to be having some immature people come in, right? So there, it's impossible. And, and if you're not reaching new people, if you're not, if you're not bringing in uh, new people, then you're not mature. So, therefore, it's one of those, it's impossible that there could be a mature church. Now, you can be mature. Personally, you can mature. You can grow up into Christ. Praise God. And we can begin to function. You see, here's the thing. If I go into a new church, 
and I want to know what's acceptable in this church, so I'm going to watch the people that have been there for a while. I'm going to watch and see how they do things. You know, if you want to know what the culture is, and, you know, if, if, uh, if nobody raises their hands, well, if I'm the new guy, I'm not raising mine. You know, if, if, if nobody, uh, nobody uh, shouts, well, I'm, not, I'm the new guy. I'm not going to shout. Nobody's shouting. You know, so you, you, you see what I'm saying. The, the, the ones who have been around for a while kind of show the newcomers what's acceptable and what's, what, what, is, uh, what is the culture of this church. Praise God. You know, we want to develop a culture in this church of loving one another. Praise God. Now, your culture isn't developed accidentally. You will develop a culture accidentally by just letting whatever happens happen. But if you want to develop a specific culture, it's got to be on purpose. Praise God. And so we want to develop a culture in this church of loving one another. Praise God. And so we have to do things deliberately, intentionally, in order to, to, for that to happen. Praise God. Praise God. We've got to be very intentional about what we're doing. Praise God. Praise God. This is why I tell our people, you know, let, let's, let's greet one another. This is why we pray, Lord, let there be a tangible love of God that people can sense when they come into the house. Praise God, because that's what we want to develop here. We, I want to be known, I want Word of Life to be known as a love church. Praise God. Now, we, we do that in the way we preach. We do that in the, you know, but it can't be just what we preach. It's, it, what we preach has got to be acted out. Praise God. It's got to be lived out. Praise God. So we are in Ephesians, the fourth chapter. The last couple of weeks, uh, uh, well, for the last previous four weeks, coming up to this week, we, we talked two weeks about uh, the fruit of the Spirit. And then the last two weeks, Pastor Jason has talked about the gifts of the Spirit. And so... Today, I just sense the Lord leading me back to Ephesians, the fourth chapter again. So if you've got your Bibles, to go to Ephesians chapter 4. Praise God. That's in, a, in your print Bible or on your phone or on your tablet or, you know. Uh, don't tell me you got it all memorized that your Bible's up here. Uh, maybe you have some of it up here, but uh, I bet we can find something that that you don't know. Praise God. So, turn in your Bible. Get it in front of you so you can read it along with me. And let Holy Spirit, I had lunch with someone today, uh, this week, and uh, I haven't had lunch yet today, but uh, I had lunch with someone this week, and, uh, you know, and, and, um, and we were talking about uh, the, the scriptures and 
and, and all that. And, and uh, you know, so important that we dig into the Word of God. So important that we dig deep. And, and something came up in our conversation that, that uh, Charles Capps said a long time ago, and I was just reminded of it as we were having lunch. And, and I said, yeah, I remember when he said, what's more important than what I have to say to you today? He was getting ready to preach. And he said, what's more important than what I have to say to you today is what the Holy Spirit says to you about what I say today. Praise God. So I want to just challenge you with that. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you about what I've got to say to you today. Praise God. So in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, we begin to see in this chapter that the Apostle Paul begins to talk about us growing up and maturing in Christ. And here in verse number seven, he says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now, I'm going to pause right there for a moment and, and, and just explain to you what he's talking about here. It says that when to each one of us a grace was given. Now, he didn't say an ability was developed or some kind of, of uh, uh, ability was, was learned or earned or something. No, he calls it a grace for a reason. The word grace is unmerited favor. But in this context that he's talking about, you know, he's not talking about that, um, that your sins are forgiven. He's not, that's not what he's dealing with right here. And uh, we could talk about grace in that context, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about an ability that the word given there explains what he's saying. There was something that was given. A grace, a, an ability was given. Praise God. It, there, you know, when you got born again, there was a grace that was given to you. And one way to describe grace in the context that he is using right here, grace could be defined here as power and equipment for ministry, for life and ministry. So when he says a, that to each one of us, grace was given, it means that you didn't look at something and you decide, oh, okay, I want that. I, I want to earn that, so I have to have to work really hard and develop that. And now there is this aspect of we uh, we have natural giftings that God has, that we were born with, and and you can certainly increase your ability to function in those gifts. You know, let's say you're mechanically inclined, but. That doesn't mean 
that you're able to fix an automobile. All right? I'm mechanically inclined, but you don't want to hire me to work on your car. See, I, I'm mechanically inclined in the sense that I, kind of, I, I naturally kind of understand how things work. And uh, that, that's just a natural gifting that I have. But I have not educated myself in the finer points of automotive mechanics. And I, I don't know the specifics, you know. I can't tell you what the timing should be set at on your car. Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of things about your automobile that I don't have any idea about, so therefore you don't want me to work on your car. Um, because what was running bad won't be running at all when I get finished. And so, you know, here, here's the thing. There, to each one of us, Grace was given a power and equipment for ministry. Now, even this grace that was given to you by God, that you can develop in that. You can learn more about it. Now, if we want to know and understand grace, then we have to understand Christ. Now, notice what he said there. But to who? Each one, everyone, yes. So every one of us received something. Some kind of ability, some kind of gifting that every single one of us received. And then he goes on and he says that, that what was given to us was according to the measure of Christ's gift. So, in other words, you were measured out a portion of the gift that was upon Christ. Now, there are some things we're going to notice here that there, there were some things that were given to each one or everyone, and then there were other things that were given to some. Now, let, let, let's go on and we'll see this. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Gave gifts, plural, to men. What does it mean when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive? When Jesus rose from the dead, just, just a very brief background, and I don't have, have time this morning to prove this out to you in Scripture, so... But, but let me say, just to give you an idea of what he's saying there, so this makes sense. When Jesus died on the cross, he was buried in the tomb. His spirit, the Bible says that he breathed his last and he gave up the ghost. That's, that's one way that scripture says it. He, he gave up the ghost. In other words, his spirit departed from his body. When his spirit departed from his body, his spirit descended into hell. Now, in hell, we can read about this in, in Luke chapter 16 is probably the best definition that we have of this or the best description that we have. There was a rich man in Lazarus, and the Bible says that, that um, 
the rich man died. Well, first it says Lazarus died, and his he was carried, not his body, but he was carried into Abraham's bosom. Abraham's, it was a place of comfort. And the rich man also died, and it says in hell he lifted up his eyes, and he could see Lazarus in comfort, but he was in torment. And it goes on to describe that there was a great gulf fixed between the two so that you couldn't pass from one compartment into the other. And so there was a place that is called paradise in Scripture that those who died believing in Christ who was to come. See, he hadn't come yet. And so they're believing in the Christ who was to come. And when they died believing in the Christ who was to come, they went to the place of comfort, where they were comforted there. And so Peter talks about when Jesus died on the cross, that he descended into that place and he ministered to, it says this, that he ministered to the souls in prison. They were being held there. They could not leave that place. They were held there. But Jesus went to them, and he said, I'm the one that you died looking for. I'm the one that you were told about, and you believed, and you were waiting for my coming. I have come now. And he goes to them, and he, he presents himself to them. And then it says here in Ephesians 4, that he led captivity, those that were in that place of captivity, he led them captive. He led them out of that place. The Bible says when Jesus uh, was there, that it says that, that uh, uh, departed saints appeared to people in the city. And so what happened was they were released from that place of prison. And, and uh, it, although it was comfort, it was not their final destination. So Jesus led them out of that place of, of, of prison. And he ascended on high, means that he ascended out of the grave, and he went to heaven then and appeared before God with his own blood and offered his own blood on the mercy seat of God in heaven, saying this is proof positive that the penalty for sin has been paid. Praise God. Then, you know, in fact, we find Mary, with Jesus, uh, she goes to the tomb to anoint his body, and the tomb is empty. She finds the tomb empty. And then she turns, she hears a voice behind her says, Mary. And she turned around and it was Jesus. And he says, don't touch me because I have not yet ascended. So he, he appears to her and then he ascends. He didn't just ascend out of the grave, but he ascended from earth back to heaven to carry his own blood into the holy of holies in heaven. Praise God. Now, I, I, I know that's a whole lot, and we could preach for several days, 
just on those points that, that I've, I've made very quickly this morning. But, but I want you to understand what was taking place here. When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean but that he first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. Now notice why he ascended into the heavens, that he might fill all things. Praise God. Now, what did that, how did that work? How did that accomplish this? Well, when Je Jesus was getting ready to go back to heaven, and he told his disciples, he says, it's good for you that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the comforter won't come. See, in what he did, he went to heaven, and in his place, he said, the Father will send another comforter in my name, one that is just like me, and he says, he's going to be with you and in you. So when Jesus went back to heaven, Holy Spirit came in his place, and the same Holy Spirit that Peter says it when he's preaching at Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10, verse number 38, it says that how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So this is what happened. Jesus dies on the cross. He descends into hell. He pays the penalty for your sins there. Praise God. And he ministered to the souls that were in prison, and he released them from that place of captivity, and he led them out, led them into heaven, praise God, and that's where they are today, praise God, and Jesus goes into the Holy of Holies, presents his blood on the mercy seat of God in heaven. He says, the penalty for all of the world's sins has, all, has now been paid, praise God, and here is the blood to prove it, praise God. Hallelujah. And and. and and he, so he satisfied the justice of God in doing that. Praise God. Now, but it says he gave gifts to men. To each one, a gift was given or gifts were given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, here's the, here, here's the awesome thing that we have to understand. When we study the ministry of Jesus and we study his life here on this earth and we see all the wonderful things that he did, and we, we see the, you know, and, and think it must have been wonderful to have been there walking with Jesus, but Jesus said, it's good for you that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit won't come. And if he doesn't come, then you can't be anointed by the Holy Spirit. So here's what happened. Because Jesus went back to heaven and he sat down at the right hand of the Father, he sent Holy Spirit back in his place, and it's the same Spirit that anointed Jesus. Praise God. And he says he gave gifts unto men. He gave some. Notice he said he gave to each one 
a gift according to the measure of Christ's gift. What, is, what does that mean? He gave you a portion of Jesus' ministry. There is not one of us that have all of it. You see, when John the Baptist saw Jesus coming, he began to talk about him, and he said, this one is coming. He says, to him, God gives, does not give his spirit by measure. In other words, Jesus got the whole load. Praise God. But notice this, he gave to some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Now, everyone got a gift, but not everyone is a prophet, not everyone's a pastor, not everyone's a teacher, not a, 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 but he gave gifts to each one, praise God. So you didn't get slighted on the gifts, praise God. And you have a portion of the ministry of Jesus. Now, with that in mind, let's remember what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter. It says that now we know in part, but when that which is perfect is come, it says that which is in part will be done away with. Now, if we read the context of what Paul had said there to the Corinthians, in fact, let's, let's go there. I just think I need to read this so that you can, that you can see where I'm getting this from. Praise God. 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, verse number 9. He says, for we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect, and we talked about what perfect means, says that when we mature, that's what he's saying, when we mature, when we grow up, when we become full-aged in Christ, he says, then that which is in part will be done away with. That doesn't mean it won't exist anymore. Now, why do I know that? Because the Apostle Paul said, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, and I understood like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. Now, was Paul saying, I quit speaking? Of course not. Was he saying, I quit thinking? Some, although some Christians have. Uh, you know, he wasn't saying, I quit thinking. He wasn't saying, I quit understanding. He is saying, I stopped doing these things in a childish manner. Why? Because a child's speaking is not complete. He hasn't developed his full fluency in the language. You know, he starts off slow. Mama, Dada, you know. It starts off real, real, real small, and his vocabulary begins to grow. So as he becomes a man, he stops talking like a child. When he becomes a man, he stops thinking like a child. Only thing the child thinks about is how this 
is affecting me. That's the only thing a child thinks about. But when you become a man, you begin to think about not only how my thinking and how my actions, how it's going to affect me, but it's how it affects others too. How they're going to, other people come into the equation here. Praise God. When you understand things, you understand not just on the basis of how it affects you, but you understand how it affects life overall. Praise God. So he says, I stopped speaking, thinking, and understanding like a child. So that was in part. What he was doing was in part. He says, we know in part. We prophesy in part. He says, but when that which is perfect, when, that, when the full-aged man comes, when we mature, he says, we stop doing things, we stop prophesying, we stop knowing things just in part, and we get the overall picture. Now, let me explain that. You, not individually, but corporately, are the body of Christ. Now, I take issue with people saying, I am the body of Christ. No, you're not. The body is not one member, but the body is many. Praise God. Praise God. So, here's the deal. I don't have all of the gifts because I'm in each one. To each one, gifts are given but I'm just one of the many. I am one member of the body. You are one member of the body. And you were given a portion of Christ's gift. But when you put us all together, praise God. See, here's, here's the deal. My eyes, they take care of the seeing for my body. My ears, they take care of the hearing. My nose, it takes care of the smelling. My feet, they take care of getting me where I need to go. My hands take care of you know, each, each part, each member of my body. This is why Paul said to the Corinthians, he said, if everybody was an eye, then where's going to be the smelling? If everybody was an ear, where's going to be the speaking? You know. And he goes on and he talks about this. And he says that we may grow up into him who is the head, Christ. See, Jesus is the head of the body, but even he said that the, the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. Because Jesus, even though he's the head, he needs whatever your part is. Because the body of Christ in the earth is incomplete as long as this is why Paul said, I, I hear that there's divisions among you, that there's factions among you. One says, well, I'm of Paul. I'm a, another says, I'm of Apollos. And another says, I'm of this one and I'm of that one. And he says, there's divisions among you. But it shouldn't be. Praise God. Why? Because I may be a hand, but you may be the eye. And, uh, and somebody sitting next to you, they may be the ear. 
And somebody sitting next to you, they may be the feet. Praise God. And we have to put all of those together. You know, my eye can't just see something and, and, and do it. It's got to have help to do it. It's got to have the hands to do it. It's got to have the feet to take them there. Praise God. Praise God. So we each have a part. So I know in part, well, that's the knowing part of the body. I prophesy in part, that's the speaking part of the body. But when, but, but, but even this, even the knowing part of the body doesn't know everything. You know in part. But you may know one thing and I may know something else. Praise God. And we have to put us all together. And this is what he's talking about, growing up into the body of Christ. You received a measure within, with, with, with uh, limitations. That's literally what that word means. It's the Greek word metros, and it means metered out. Metered out. There is, there is a, a measure, there is a, you know, if you bake, you may use measuring cups to measure out a certain measure of what you're, uh, what you're putting into your cake. Well, the gift of Christ, which was without measure, the gift of Christ has been measured out or metered out to each one of us, but we don't have the body of Christ in full operation in the earth today until we learn to put the meters together, the metros together, the, the measures of the body of Christ together. This is why it is so important that there not be factions and divisions and dissensions and, and these kinds of things among us because I need you and I am not complete without you, but you're not complete without me. Praise God. God intended for it to work this way. Praise God. And we've got to grow up. Hallelujah. Praise God. Now, he gave some to be apostles, not all, not each one to be apostles. He gave some to be prophets, but not each one to be a prophet. Praise God. And here's what you've got to do. Here's what you've got to understand. Quit thinking you have to be all things because you have been given a portion. You need to function in the portion of Christ's gift that you have been given. I need to function in the portion of Christ's gift that I have been given. Praise God. Praise God. And as we begin to do that, you see, we, we spend way too much time on trying to figure stuff out that we don't even need to figure out. Instead of trying to figure out how we can cooperate and work together and work with one another and complete one another, instead of trying to figure that out, we're trying to figure out things like, well, I don't know, think maybe, do you think I could get away with that and be a Christian? 
You know, how much time do we spend trying to figure out what we can get away with instead of trying to figure out how we can better work together? Praise God. Praise God. See, what God's doing, God is creating a duplicate of Jesus' ministry in the earth. And when we function together, everyone functioning in their gift, praise God, then we have the body of Christ duplicated in the earth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But as long as we are on our own thing, you know, as, as long as we're just we're, we're just functioning in our own little world and thinking that the whole world revolves around us. It doesn't. Praise God. We grow up into him who is the head, Christ. He's the one that is giving the instructions to the body. It is my head that gives my, the instructions to my eyes. It's my head that gives the instructions to my hands. Praise God. And the body of Christ functions the same way. Hallelujah. Now, let's, let's go to something here this, this morning. Let's go to um, let's go to verse number 17 of, of Ephesians 4. He says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. All right, he says we're being alienated from the life of God. He's talking about the Gentiles. He says you, as believers, you shouldn't be like that. They're alienated from the life of God by the ignorance that is in them. So, in other words, we've been talking about when we put all of the parts of the body together, we have the ministry of Jesus duplicated in the earth, but we're alienated from the life of God because of ignorance. Now, Paul goes on and he talks about, you know, the way that the, that the Gentiles walked and lived. And he said, you have not so learned Christ. Let's, let's go on here. Verse 18, having their understanding darkened. That, that means that, that you've got this part of you that understands, but you've turned the light off. You've turned the light off. Your understanding has been darkened. And he says, being alienated from the life of God by the ignorance that is in them. Notice what he didn't say. 
He didn't say you're alienated from the life of God because of, of sin. Now, please do not misunderstand what I'm saying. I am not saying that it's okay for you to sin. That, I didn't say that. Your pastor from this pulpit did not say sin is okay and it doesn't matter. I didn't say that. I said that it's not your sin that alienates you from the life of God. Why? Because Jesus paid for that already. Praise God. But there's something that does alienate you from the life of God. And the thing that alienates you from the life of God is your ignorance. Ignorance of Christ. Now, we'll, we'll prove that here in just a moment. Let's go ahead and read, read on a little bit. Verse 19. Who being past feeling. Now, remember I talked to you out of Hebrews, the fifth chapter. And in the fifth chapter of Hebrews, it says that, you know, some of you, he says, you ought that you should be teachers by now. He said, but you're requiring milk. You, you ought to be teachers by now. You should be teachers now. He says, you need milk. You're still requiring milk. And we talked about growing up and maturing. He says, let us lay aside the, uh, uh, put aside and move beyond the elementary principles of Christ. And let's go on to perfection. Let's go on to grow up, is what he's saying. All right? And here he says that they being past feelings. He, he describes the person who is a mature individual in the fifth chapter of Hebrews. He says that their senses are exercised to discern both good and evil. In other words, they don't need a law to tell them right from wrong. They know instinctively because of Christ in them, they should know instinctively. A mature individual, now a child, yes, they need some rules set out for them. But a mature individual, if you are mature in Christ, you don't have to look at the rule book to see what the rules are. You know what's good and what's evil. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, but these people... He said, they're, they're past feeling. Or they're, they're beyond, the, in, in a sense of going backwards. They're, they've gone back beyond their senses telling them good and evil. They, they've gone to a place, you know, that, that is, is back before their senses could discern good and evil. They, they've, they've gone backwards. Now, in the circles I grew up in, uh, we, we talked about people backsliding. And what we were referring to is this person used to be saved, but they're not saved anymore. And that's what we meant by that. Well, that's not what I'm talking about. But backsliding is not a bad term to describe what has happened here. This is a person that they begin to grow up into Christ, but then they begin to go backwards. They, they, were, they were coming to that place where their senses could tell them the difference between good and evil, but now they've gone backwards and their senses aren't, you know, their senses aren't telling them anymore the difference between good and evil. They're, they're past feeling. 
And then he goes on, he says, because they have given, and, and as a result of that, as a result of being past feeling, he says, now they have given themselves over to lewdness, to all uncleanness, with greediness. And then he says, but you have not so learned Christ. You have not so learned, he said, that's not what you learned from Christ. Now, this comes right on, you know, like a, a, a verse after, or a couple verses after, he talks about their understanding being darkened. And he, he talks about the blindness that is in their, uh, that is in them. And he says, what has happened is this person, they didn't learn this stuff, the way they're behaving, they didn't learn that from Christ. And he says, you have gone backwards in your walk with him. He said, that's not what you learned from Jesus. And let me say, there are some things in our lives and, and, and some things that are going on that we didn't learn from Jesus. You know. He, he said that you don't, some people say, well, pastor, you know, you you used to, I was just here just six months ago, and you weren't preaching like this. Well, it's time to grow up. You know, what do you tell a, what do you tell a little kid? Daddy loves you. Mama loves you. That's all you tell them. You're constantly reaffirming your love for them, reaffirming your love for them, reaffirming your love, you know. But then there comes a time when mom and daddy has to say, no, you can't do that. No, don't do that. That you, I don't want you hurt. So you can't do that. You'll say all the time, so, well, God hates sin. Yes, God does hate sin. But why does he hate sin? Because sin hurts you. Why do you tell your kid don't play in the street? Because playing in the street can hurt them. Not that you're suddenly mad at them for playing in the street. You're not offended by a kid playing in the street. You know, people think God's offended by sin. God's not offended by sin. God just doesn't want you sinning because he doesn't want you hurt. Praise God. You see, when we have a misconception of who the Father is, we, we think that when, when somebody says something about sin, that that suddenly they're, they're mad at us and they hate us and they're preaching God hates you. No, that's not it. That's not it. God doesn't want you hurt. Praise God. And he knows the end result of that will hurt. He knows that strife and divisions in the church will destroy the church. So therefore, he doesn't want them in the church. Praise God. Now, he says, you didn't so learn Christ. So if we, how, how do we get to this place that we are behaving in a mature manner? By learning Christ. We all with unveiled face, Paul told the Corinthians, he said, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into that same image from glory to glory. 
So we're learning Christ, and learning Christ is, tra is transforming us and changing us into his image. And he said, that's, this stuff, that's not what you learned from Christ. You know, what, he named some things there. He said lewdness and uncleanness. He said, you didn't learn that from Christ. That's not where you got that. You didn't learn it from him. And he says, but you, you have reverted back to that because of your lack of understanding. Because your understanding has been darkened. He says, now you've come over here into grace, and grace says that, you know, you are righteous because of what Jesus did, not because of what you did. And instead of looking at Christ and keeping your focus on him, you start thinking, okay, well, I guess since I, it's not about what I did, it's about what Jesus did, so I guess I can just do anything. See, that's not what you learned from Christ. You know, I, I can behave any old way I want to behave because, well, Jesus, he, he already paid for all my sins, so the sin I'm going to commit right now, it's already been paid for, so I guess I'll just go ahead and do it. That's not what you learned from Christ. He said, your understanding's been darkened because of the ignorance that's in you, the ignorance of Christ, because you don't know him. It is knowing him that causes you to be transformed into his image. And if you know him, there's not going to be anything in you that even wants to do that. This is what he's telling us here. He says there, these things are, are, are showing up in your life, and, and we could put in any, any number of, of sinful activity in here, and we could say, well, these things are showing up in your life, but the reason they're showing up in your life is because you have forgotten what you learned of Christ, praise God. You're not looking at him anymore. You're, you've got your eyes back on you. And what in reality you have done when you get your eyes back on you is you have now put yourself right back under the law. That we're, under, we're, we're not under law, but under grace. But when we begin to look and say, oh, well, okay, the law, I know the law says you shall not commit adultery, but it really feels good. And so, therefore, I can just do that because Jesus has already paid, to, paid for forgiving me. My sins are already forgiven in, in Christ. He said, that's not what you learned from Christ. Was Jesus an adulterer? No. You, you think Jesus didn't have the opportunity? What, what about this woman that was caught in bed with, with uh, you know, in the very act of adultery, and they brought her to Jesus, and Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. You, you think that Jesus could have maybe picked up that chick? <laughs> After he said, I'm, I'm just saying it in just plain language. You know, probably so. After he said, neither do I condemn you, she was feeling so condemned, and he said, I don't condemn you. 
come with me, baby. That wasn't in Jesus. That wasn't in him. You didn't learn that from Christ. You know, but this is what we, we, we hear a grace message that should set us free, not free to sin, but free from sin. Praise God. You see, the problem was not with the law that it was corrupt, but the problem with the law was it didn't do anything to help us. The law couldn't help you overcome sin. We can preach the law all day long, and the only thing that does is stir up evil desire in you. Well, I wonder why God said don't do that. I wonder why God said don't eat of that tree in the middle of the garden, because he knows it's good. You know, I mean, isn't that what happened in the garden? The garden of Eden? Why did God say, why? You know if you eat of this tree that you're not going to die. See? Why does God not want He He knows that if you eat of that tree that you're going to be like him. You're going to know good and evil and you're going to be just like him. And he doesn't want that. He's doing the same thing today. He said, you know, why, why does God not want you to do that? Because, well, he just doesn't want you to enjoy life. After all, Jesus has already shed his blood for that. Do you know even the devil will bring up the blood of Christ? But he'll taint the story. He'll mess up the story. He'll say, yes, Jesus shed his blood, and he did that, so, well, you don't have to, you really don't have to resist temptation anymore. Just go ahead and, you know, because the blood of Jesus already took care of it. And Paul's saying, you didn't so learn Christ that way. That's not what you learned from him. If you look at Christ, and you're focused on him, the only way you get to thinking that is if you start looking back at you. You start looking back at you. I can get away with that because of Jesus. I'm under grace. I'm not under law anymore, so these laws don't apply to me. But you've misunderstood grace. Grace says you don't need that law. You ought to know this by your senses. And Paul says you, you're past your senses. Because your senses are not even telling you good and evil anymore because of the blindness that's on the inside of you. Because you're so blind, you can't see the Jesus that you supposedly are being transformed into his image. You can't even see him anymore. Because you're so busy looking at you and what you want to do and what makes you feel good. Praise God. Now, He says, the ignorance that's in you. Ignorance that's in you. Ignorance of Christ. You cannot afford to be ignorant of Christ. 
Now notice this in Romans chapter 10, verse 14. It says, How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And that's not the verse I wanted. I want to... Uh, I want verse. I want chapter six, verse sixteen. I was looking. At, that's what I get when I jump all over my notes, like like this. That's what happens. But but here here Romans chapter six, verse sixteen. He says, "Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slave to whom you obey, whether of sin." leading to death, or of obedience leading to righteousness. Now, the word obey there means this. See, here, here's what we thought it meant. We thought it meant, you know, you were tempted to sin, and so you did it. You sinned. Now, here's, here's what this word obey means, literally. This word obey means that you give attentive hearkening. You give attentive hearkening. Now, let's read that again with that understanding. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to attentively hearken to? To attentively hearken to. In other words, Whatever you are giving your attention to, you become that one's slave. Whatever you give your attention to, because what you give your attention to, you will end up giving your members over to. Whatever you focus on, whatever you zoom in on, and, and you put your focus on, see, now here's the problem well, I think I can get away with this and be a Christian. What, are you, what have you just done? You've got your focus off Christ and you've got it on to whatever it is you're wanting to do. Your focus is not on Jesus anymore. Your focus is on that thing that you want to do. That you are trying to figure out a way that you can get away with it. And he says, well, when you do that, that thing that you are attentively hearkening to, that you are allowing to occupy space in your mind, he says, that thing, you become a slave to that thing, whatever it is. You become a slave to it. But if you give your focus and your attention, your attentive hearkening unto Christ, you will become a slave to Christ, and, and, and that's not in the sense of bondage, that's in the sense of you present yourself unto him, praise God, to do that which is pleasing unto him. You know, whenever I hear somebody that is saying, well, I, you know, I think I can do this and, and, and I'll be okay, well, you know, that's just the way I am. Well, I'm not perfect. What you're doing is you're giving your attention to whatever that thing is that, that you want to get away with. 
and you become a slave to that thing. But if you will focus in on Jesus, Bible says that when we see him, 1 John wrote this, not, well, John in 1 John wrote, wrote this. He said that when we see him as he is, then we shall be like him. Now, he doesn't mean when Jesus comes back. Now, certainly when he comes back, we're going to see him as he is. But you know what? You don't have to wait till he comes back. You can see him as he is because he is portrayed all through the scriptures. If you'll open your Bible and begin to see Jesus. Now, see, I always say this, and I'm going to throw this in for free. This, this really is a, is, a, is a little side rabbit trail, but it won't be long, Okay. Uh, you know, that if we read our Bible, I can find me in the Bible. You can find you in the Bible. You can find your neighbor in the Bible. You can find everything that your neighbor is doing wrong, you can find it in the Bible. You can say, see, there's a scripture for it right there. You know, you can find all the things that you're doing wrong in the Bible. That's the problem with many so-called Christian counselors they're always pointing people to the scriptures that tell them about themselves. When in reality, if they look at the scriptures that, that point them to Christ and who he is and what he is, you know, their counseling will be much more successful. Praise God. And so here we are, you know, we, we've, when we begin to put our focus and our attention on you know, what we can do and what we can get away with and what's okay now under grace, you know, then we become a slave to that thing. But if we will focus our attention on looking at Jesus, praise God, it will cause us to be transformed into his image and things that used to be a temptation to you won't even be a temptation. They won't even be an interest You'll begin to change, and the struggle of sin won't be a struggle anymore. You know, you won't have to just try a little harder. No, the only labor the Bible wants you involved in is laboring into entering his rest. I am occupying myself with entering into his rest. When I can become so occupied with entering into his rest and I begin to enter into that rest, I can rest in all of the finished works of Christ. Health won't be an issue for me. Why? Because I rest in what he did. He bore my sickness, disease, and pain. When I can enter into the rest that he has declared me righteous, I can, I can rest in that. And sin won't be an issue for me anymore. Praise God. You know, when we begin to know Him, and we begin to overcome the ignorance that is in us with the knowledge of him. 
by so learning Christ. Praise God. All these struggles that, that, that we experience in this life will just begin to fall off. Praise God. Now, I don't mean you're not going to be challenged in, in life. You've got a devil that wants to mess you up. You know, he, he wants to mess you up, and he'll, he'll be a challenge to you. But I'm talking about the things that you internally struggle with. You know, on, on the inside of you, you're struggling with this, with that, with that. You know, you're struggling with depression, and you're struggling with uh, addictions and eating disorders and, and sickness and disease. And these, when, when you're struggling with these things, the more you see him and you begin to rest in what he did, then these things begin to fall aside because you start being transformed into his image. Praise God. Praise God. And I'm telling you, you know, I'm, I'm out of time this morning and I've got to stop. But we could just learn so much by learning Him. Praise God. By learning Him, by focusing on Him, whom you give your attentive your, your, your full attention to, you see. You become, that, that thing begins to rule over you. Praise God. Praise God. Let Christ rule over me. I want to know him. This is why Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrecting, being conformed to his likeness. Praise God. Praise God. I want to know Him. Father, we thank You today. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus. Father, that we can get our focus off of us. get our focus totally and completely on Jesus and what he has done and so learn Christ so learn Christ that what he is that's what we become declared us to be righteous but you said the transformation happens by the renewing of our mind you've changed us on the inside but we work that onto the outside under the outer man as we begin to see him as he is pray for you this morning. You say, Pastor, I want to see Jesus more clearly. 
to see Jesus more clearly. If that's you, just right where you're sitting, I want you to just hold up one hand, just right where you are. You just want to see Jesus. Just want to see Jesus more clearly. Father, for everyone who has lifted their hands today, Father, I pray as the Apostle Paul prayed for the Ephesians that the eyes of their understanding be enlightened. Father, as the passage read today that we, that we looked at, it said that there's ignorance in us because of the blindness of our hearts. Father, I pray today in the name of Jesus because of the darkness that is in us is what it said. Father, I, I speak to that darkness just as you said when you created the heavens and the earth and then you said let there be light. Today in the name of Jesus I speak today over everyone that has their hand raised today saying, I just want to see Jesus. I pray in the name of Jesus and I make a declaration in Jesus' name. Let there be light. Let there be light. light up every dark place, to light up every place where Jesus is veiled, where Jesus is shadowed, where they're not seeing Jesus. Let there be light. The eyes of their understanding be enlightened, be flooded with light, that they may know Him and the power of His resurrection and all that He is. Let there be light in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. If you've never received Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, whether you're in this room or watching us online today, I want to help you to make that decision right now. You see, the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes under righteousness. He didn't say works under righteousness. He said believes under righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You see, Jesus said there's no way to get to God except by him. That he's the, he is the way, the truth, and the life. Maybe you've tried other ways to get to God. God, but I say to you today, there is no way but Jesus. So I want you to pray this prayer with me. I want everyone to pray this. If you mean what you're saying, according to God's word, you're saying. 
we say amen at the end of this it says so that means so be it so everything that we pray you're saying so be it to me so let's pray this together say God in heaven I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross for me that he paid for my sin and rose again from the dead so I could have new life Today, I choose to put my trust in Jesus for my salvation. Jesus, I invite you to be my Lord. Thank you for saving me. Amen. Thank you once again for joining us today online. We value you and we want to hear from you. If you made a decision for Christ today, you can select I Choose Jesus on our website. And we've got a couple videos for you to watch so that you can get started on your walk with God. We've also got a free ebook that you can download right from our website called I Choose Jesus. And I want to encourage you to do that. Once again, thank you for joining us. And remember that God is madly in love with you.